Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we're here with Ms. Tamara Lynn Stewart, patient, activist, and lobbyist. Ms. Stewart uses her experience as a patient to garner experience as a public policy advocate for chronic pain patients. She has an unusually high success rate in enacting legislation at the state and federal level. Recently, she advocated for patient-centric policies at the CDC at the national level. And with that, I'd like to welcome Ms. Stewart. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me back. For those who are listening who are unaware of your story, please provide some background and context, and context around your advocacy and what led you to where you are today. I call myself an accidental activist because I had no intention on this becoming my life, but I was a normal housewife mother had two foster kids and one biological um things were okay i had chronic pain had cancer um had the surgeries was fine all the cancer was gone pain was remaining i kind of just was going on my way as a pain patient but had my medicines where they needed to be a doctor i saw every month and things were fine and all of a sudden the changes in the law created a problem and my doctor needed to taper me and started reducing me from almost 700 MME down to, he was shooting for under 90, but the lowest we ever got was I think 120. Mm. And at that point, both my cardiologist and my gastroenterologist sent him letters saying that this patient is not okay, essentially. Then he did bring me back up a little bit. Um, but I used that while I was able to move a little bit still, not quite at the very bottom of my taper. I was almost bedridden. But when I got bumped back up a little bit, I got really upset. I walked into my medical board and said, what's going on? Why can't my doctor take care of my pain if you know, what did he do? What did I do? And they said, oh, don't look at us. It's the state legislators. So the next step was I walked right into the state capitol and started knocking on doors. And I asked them the exact same question. And that just kind of led to a continual nonstop ready to go pushing of new policies that were patient-centered and focusing on trying to get it set back where the doctors were protected instead of law enforcement having the access and threatening the doctors. You say this so nonchalantly, and it's so I've seen it so many times where you really kind of overstate the impossible for many patients. What makes you so successful as an advocate? We talked about this before, but I, I don't think you really encapsulate just how much work and effort you've put in and how successful you've been in really advocating at the state and federal level. So I, I, I'm hoping that maybe you can touch a little bit and maybe provide an anecdote or two just on the amazing success you've had in relationship building, advocacy, just so those who are listening who may want to replicate your success have something to go off of? I think 
Last time you asked me that question, I said that I was persistent. And I think I've taken that to a new level to the point where maybe I don't always know when to stop. <laughs> don't know when to back down and accept no as an answer, which probably is to our benefit as a community, but definitely costs, costs some relationships sometimes. But I think the most important thing was not stopping. Um, during any time my legislature is in session here in Oklahoma, I am inside those walls two, sometimes three days a week, a minimum of four hours. Wow. I speak to everybody I can. Everybody in Oklahoma that is an elected official wears a little pin to tell you whether they're in the Senate or the House. I will stay in the hallways until I see one of them. I recognize them as a senator and go speak to them. If it's one I don't know already, I'll recognize them by a pin. If not, I usually know most of them here. Same with the house. I'll meet them in the elevator. If I run into somebody in the elevator and I recognize them as an elected official or the legislative aide or policy aide of an elected official, I kind of talk, I, I'd say trap them. I, I'm a little more polite than that, but <laughs> I do come on fairly strong to the point where they're going to at least know why I approached them. Right. They may not hear everything. They may ignore me or walk off, but they're going to know who I am and why I'm there. And I yeah. think that has helped probably more than anything. Maybe they've done it to um, maybe keep me quiet. Other, Not keep me quiet, but maybe to get me to quit knocking on their doors every day they're open. Yeah, no, so. certainly what's most resonating is this level of persistence and your willingness to be there in person. And I think it says a lot about you that despite your medical condition, despite the obvious difficulties in being there in person, you do that. And I think that really strikes a chord that no data point, no policy, and certainly no misconstrued MME guideline can really encapsulate. So hats off to you for that. And I think having more people in bodies of legislation, meeting people in person may do a lot of good for the pain community as a whole. But recently you were in Washington, DC, advocating against the release of the 2022 CDC clinical practice guidelines for prescribing opioids. Uh, talk to a little bit about what you did over there and what you accomplished. So the majority of what I did at the federal level was not much different than at the state level. I had a few meetings scheduled, but the rest of everything was meeting them in their hallways, walking into their office. Um, once I got into the Senate building for one meeting, I think I spoke to seven more offices and I would walk in, tell them who I was, ask to speak to their policy aide, um, get the person's card if they weren't there, send them an email right away with our entire packet that Andrea Anderson was so wonderful, worked really hard and a few others to put together. And 
I'd make sure they had that. Knew, same thing. Knew who I was, why I was there. And that they had the information necessary before I walked out that door. And I ran into two of them over in um, the halls of Congress. I was over there meeting one of my reps from Oklahoma. And on my way back, I ran into two other representatives I recognized. I had never met them before, but they know who I am now. That's amazing. I, I have to believe there's a certain art, a certain form of engagement when you are making these impromptu meetings uh, based off of your experience, uh, the good and the bad and everything in between. What are some things that go through your mind as you're initiating one of these impromptu meetings? So you see a legislator, you approach them. What happens after that? Talk through it. The first thing I do is walk up and tell them my name, uh, why I'm there. Explain to them that I am there to discuss with them the opioid prescribing policies at the both those, whether it's state or federal, depending on where I'm at, and let them know about the ramifications that it's had on both the prescribers and the patients, because I do try to represent both both parts, both sides. And it's really quick. You can tell whether they're going to be put off by the patient perspective or welcoming of the patient perspective. Kind of like you see a face. It's either, oh, really tell me more or, oh, no, not this again. Mm. And I guess I I kind of tailor the words that, you know, the next words out of my mouth based on how they responded when I told them why I'm there. How? So let, let's play that through. So let's start with the positive. So you approach a legislator, you seem to get a positive response from him or her. Do you then immediately ask to talk to a policy aide after making a brief introduction? Or do you try to carry on the conversation with the legislator for as long as possible? I'm going to stay with that legislator as long as possible. But I don't sit there and tell them information. Usually the first thing I do is ask them, have you had a lot of constituents contact you about this, both doctors and patients? They will start telling me stories. Mm. Honestly, I learn a lot about what I can do in their district, maybe who I can contact within their own their district to maybe take another step forward in that area or have a bigger network, even if that's all I gain is more in my network. And them telling me stories, it actually, it seems to build a more of a connection. At that point, I ask them if they mind if I sit down with their policy, policy aides and present a few solutions. I don't ever go in there and tell them my story, like how much pain I'm in or any of that. I tell them, I am a patient. I benefit from the medicines. We have uh, some solutions. Here's a few ideas how to fix it. I think all of them have heard our stories enough. It's not that they don't need to hear them as, you know, from time to time. It's that they need solutions also. If we keep bombarding them with sad stories, they eventually kind of get desensitized and mm. tune out. 
but bringing them solutions, they actually have a possible step, or at least we give them ideas what we need. And I think that's probably the biggest difference and why I've been successful. That may be why. I don't focus on me. I focus on what we need and the immediate next steps they can take to help people like me. That's very insightful. And I think a lot of people can benefit from taking that approach. It's subtle, but it's significant in its effectiveness. Let's take the opposite. Let's take a negative encounter. Suppose you approach a legislator and you're not getting the feedback or generating the impression that you would like, and you can tell it's one of those, oh, not again type situations. Um, what are the cues you pick up on and how do you pivot to potentially salvage the relationship or do you kind of just cut your losses early on? There's only been maybe three at the state of, in the state of Oklahoma that I've cut my losses on. Um, state of Washington, maybe four or five. So it's pretty rare that I cut my lot, you know, cut my losses, but I do run into the negative, probably 50-50. It used to be a lot more negative than positive. Now we're coming at that point where we're starting to overtake, have more positive than negative. So that, in my mind, is a huge step. But when I do see that, sense that negativity, um, I may not ask them a question because they might be more put off by that. But I will, I will say, I will just kind of leave it at, would you mind if I sent you some positions from your district, your state that are willing to describe what it has caused in their own practice or some patients, some actual constituents of yours, do you mind if I have them send you an email? And do you mind if I send you and your policy staff some ideas and some solutions and follow up? That way I let them off the hook they can leave at that point as long as they say, sure, send me an email. And But then I do start working with them. And I feel like that first contact's important, even if it's negative, because at least they saw my face. They know there's a problem. And then I'm going to follow up. I will. I will come back and find that person again. Interesting. And you tend to follow up again in person or do you try to work the email chain to schedule something in person? The reason why I frame it that way is because you seem very skilled at getting these impromptu meetings. And I think that's almost a strength of yours in creating that authentic relationships with the legislators. You must know at a certain point when to kind of pivot to email communication versus subsequent in-person communication. Talk through the logic and how you think that through. I can't say that I have specifically a logic as more as a gut feeling. Um, I, if they're staring out the window or at their phone or any of that, even during that first couple of minutes, I, I do work hard at the email level. I engage their legislative staff not just their policy staff, not their health policy staff, but all of them. I do as much as I can to get their legislative aides on our side. One mm -hmm. thing not everybody realizes is your legislative aide 
inside your legislator's office is probably your best friend. They are the ones that when they see the information and they're touched by something, they see that policymaker a whole lot more than we ever could. Yep. They sit there and bug them. Hey, you're missing out on this. You're really having more constituents call on this. And I think maybe that's been a part of it too, is I go in and I visit with all the staff, all the legislative aides, and I in, educate them on our issue just as much because they will in turn help educate the legislator. Yeah. That's interesting you talk about that approach because it almost seems like you break it down where you focus on relationships and building bonds with the legislator, but you talk facts, figures, and data with the policy aids. So you almost instinctively understand what to say to whom in order to maximize your effectiveness. Is it is it that simple or do you kind of experience feel it out through the experience and you just intuitively know how to pivot. I will say, I think I was lucky. I had a really group, a really great group of state legislators here in Oklahoma that I would say I would, I trained on. Um, nice. When I totally made a fool of myself, they didn't care. <laughs> um, they were so gracious and helped me. Uh, taught me things that I really didn't know. The legislative aides, there's a few of them that I've become friends with. And if I have any question in the world, I can call them. So, but you're right. It's relationships with those that are elected. They don't have time for policy figures and facts. And, but it's down to the nuts and bolts with the health, the health staff and the legislative aides. Interesting. You clearly have unprecedented success, and so I, I don't want to understate that, but I think that it would be instructive for those listening to understand how you got to the point where you are, because as an advocate, and you had mentioned this a few minutes ago, you told the line between having your agenda and advocating for your perspective and possibly overdoing it or perhaps coming off in a way that would be more negative than positive. How do you regain that balance once you find yourself off of it? So let's say you had a misstep or you said something that you want to take back. How do you find that balance to weird things back on the course? I'm not real sure. Honest, that's one of my, uh, something I'm still working on. That's one of my own weaknesses. If I do get too far off track like that, I kind of tend to not know what to say. And so I guess the best I can do at that point is, like I said, just kind of pivot straight to, well, at least do you mind if I send you and your policy staff email and mm. just kind of back out from there. I'm not real great at picking up if I make that too big of a goof. It, your little goofs, that's fine. Now, if I put my foot in my mouth, I'm pretty well ready to pivot to email. Nice. And I think that level of self-awareness is part of why you reach the level that you have. And I have to say that recognizing that in many ways is a strength. Um, what are some 
kind of maybe pivoting from you know actual nuts and bolts of lobbying and advocacy to some outcomes and some successes that you've achieved or you see coming down the pipeline. What are some pieces of legislation, either from your state of Oklahoma or at the federal level, that give you hope or give you some concern? As far as giving us hope, I I don't see much at the federal level giving us hope other than none of the ones that are there today will hurt us. And I think over the last however many years, every time there's been bills put in in Congress, they have been something that we found damaging. So now the ones that are coming out whether they get passed or not, that's all something later to be seen. But at least their initial drafts are not damaging to us. I feel like that's kind of um, a step in the right direction. I do think the more we get connections with federal legislators, we can get them to go from not harmful to helpful. That's what I hope that one uh, representative Mark Wayne Mullins put in. It's just an e-prescribing bill. It doesn't harm us in any way, but I do think there is some room that he could put in the right words to benefit us, make it a little easier on us, make it a little easier on our doctors because sometimes e-prescribing is a little cumbersome. So I'm hoping he'll work with us on that. He did say he would. He also said he would go to the CDC and ask them not to release the updates until the uh, total evaluation of the CDC is complete. I had three step, three separate um, people in DC tell me they would. Two senators, one representative told me to my face they would go to the CDC and ask them to stop the release of the guidelines. Whether they do or not, I don't know. I will follow up. So we'll find out what they have to say. And if they send, you know, anything back to us for feedback from the CDC, that'll be interesting to see. Here in Oklahoma, we've got two or three bills that we'll put in again next session, just like before. Um, we're focusing on continuity of care. What happens to patients when a doctor either something happens, even if he just gets sick or if he passes away, if he does lose his license, how to make sure that patient is provided for, giving the primary care doctors more than just authority, but encouragement to prescribe and maintain same doses without feeling like they need to instantly, you know, rapidly taper a dose. So that's kind of our biggest hopeful here. I know across the country, there's a few others. I can't think of any right off the top of my head to be specific about. They're close to like what Minnesota did. I know a lot of people are thrilled with the Minnesota one and are hoping to emulate that. Yeah, the Minnesota one is giving a lot of people hope and yes. possibly could serve as a, um, a framework for national policy. But I think you could. You're, you're, you're right in that the most pressing issue really is this uh, 2022 CDC guidelines. Um, your gut instinct, does it tell you that it will be delayed or do you think that 
it was more kind of pillow talk from the legislators to give you false assurances. If it wasn't so close to an election that mattered, I would say I have some more hope than I do. I feel like because Mark Wayne Mullen, like I said, he said he would, but he is also running for Senate and he's hoping to be elected in November as one of um, our senators instead of one of our House of Representatives, you know, one of our congressmen. Um, the other one is a senator that's up for re-election this year. So I really feel like it's possible it was more election speak than it was genuine. But I don't know. Like I said, I will stay on them. I will keep following up until I get an answer. Yeah. Like I said, I don't always know when to you know, when to stop. No, I mean, that's part of the strength and it's uh, necessary at this point. I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, getting into the advocacy uh, of pain and what it entails. For those listening who may want to actively get involved and speak to their legislators, does it make sense to work closely with you, kind of leverage some of the resources that you have or do you feel like each person should find their own way? I have no problem if anybody wants to contact me. I will help any way I can. Um, I think I wish we had the resources to go to every state. I would love to at least hit some of the biggest states and do exactly what we did in Oklahoma there. Texas, Florida, um, California's actually got a, a pretty good start. So that I'd love to do that and try to get enough of them going that it was easier on everyone. But anybody from any state's more than welcome to reach out. I don't have really specific resources. We haven't put any of that together, but I'm happy to have a conversation, um, send any contacts I have in their state. It's kind of the best I have to offer right now, but that's I'm more than happy to help any of us at P3 are. No, I, I think that's very important uh, to mention that in further detail. Can you talk a little bit about P3R, uh, what it, it does for um, advocacy for pain patients and for those interested in getting involved or uh, leveraging your expertise, how they can get a hold of you? First, the website is painadvocate.org. Um, it's there to give you the tools to find your representatives and all the necessary parts to even just get started. I was doing better about keeping it updated with documents that you could take to your representative. I've been a little overwhelmed, um, so I didn't haven't kept it up as much as I hoped to. And so hopefully I'll get that put back up where everybody can have documents that they can at least send to their representatives. Um, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Messenger through Facebook. Friend, send me a friend request. Send me a Messenger request. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Fight Pain Daily. And also we have kind of updated our at P3 Alliance. Um Twitter account so that everybody can get all of us there too. Oh, perfect. Uh, and I want to leave 
the audience with one final question for those who are following you or should be following you to learn from your example as an advocate. What's next for you in 2023? What are your goals to accomplish in these coming months? First thing we're going to do is put the Oklahoma the Oklahoma legislation in. That'll be filed the first drafts of it around no late November, early December. Um, we're working in Texas this year, so there'll be quite a few trips down there. Um, hoping to work in Alabama. It's a possibility. We're not sure yet. Still kind of waiting to hear. Um, Maryland, for sure. We will have multiple bills in Maryland coming from both the House and the Senate side. Or I think it's called the delegates up there, House of Delegates um, and the Senate. And hopefully in Washington, we're also got, we also have some connections working. So it would be really nice to have bills in all of those states, active bills that we're able to hopefully go to each of those states, make a physical appearance. It's the boots on the ground, the physical presence that's going to make a difference. So we're going to need to go to Washington for the hearings, for the different meetings. Hopefully we can put them all together. You know, at the same week and just hit each of these states once, maybe twice. I don't mind traveling, but it sure takes a lot out of me. And uh, what you're doing with everything that you're going through is unbelievable. Uh, I, I just want to repeat the states for the listening audience. We have Texas, possibly Alabama, of course, right. Oklahoma, your state, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. at the national level. So for those of you who are advocating, for pain, pain patients, please reach out to Ms. Tamara Lynn Stewart. You know how to get a hold of her. She mentioned multiple ways of reaching out to, to her. Again, from Texas, Oklahoma, Maryland, possibly Alabama, and the Washington, D.C. area. If you are involved in any advocacy or would like to, please get a hold of Ms. Stewart. And Washington State, it's actually, I, we also have federal things in the fire too, but it's Washington State. Oh, I apologize, Washington State. So thank you for clarifying. So again, Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Maryland, and Washington State. Those are, again, five states. So that, that's a lot of traveling for you. That's all right. We can do it. You can. You have done it and you will continue to do it. So again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. I thought that it was important that we come on and we discuss updates and let the audience know that there is an advocate who's doing it, who has done it successfully, and that people should leverage their resources and time behind you. I truly believe that you are a guiding star.